Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Cool. Yeah, this is pretty special. Uh, Just so thankful to be a part of this church family where we can be in actual relationship uh, with each other. And so... Uh, welcome, and glad that you're here. If you're part of the online family, we're super thankful for you as well. And we're praying for you. And uh, there's people there in the chat, love to interact with you. If you've got questions or needs or prayer requests, feel free to uh, just reach out to them. And uh, my goodness, we are in this series called Kings and Queens. And it's a, it's a series about relationships and what it would look like if we treated the people around us like royalty. One of the ways we thought might be uh, just a little bit helpful for you. If you want to encourage a friend or encourage a family member or uh, maybe even your spouse, I don't know, um, we've got cards out in the lobby. And as you leave today, you could just snag one of those cards and stop for a moment and write an encouraging note. Maybe a, I love you, I care for you, I thank thank God for you, uh, whatever it is, just thinking about you, just a little bit of an encouragement, and, uh, and then take it home and, and send it off to them. Um, that, that art of the handwritten note is really, uh, it's a lost art form today, and it can mean an awful lot. You'll never know, like the right word at the right time can be such a blessing. And so um, stop by the lobby, grab a card, uh, take it home, send it off to somebody, and maybe that will just help Uh, some relationship that you've got in a way that maybe you're not even fully aware of uh, right now. You know, we we don't really know like what we're doing when it comes to relationships, do we? Like some of you are like are naturally better than others at relationships, uh, but even even the best relationship people, like we're kind of stumbling along, like we we don't know what we're doing. I love watching people like just keep at it, you know, for a long time and make a commitment to a friend or a family member over the long haul, that's like the coolest thing. Uh, Gosh, like 15 years ago, I got to perform a wedding for two 94-year-olds. I didn't even want to think about the honeymoon. But um, (laughs) it was so sweet, you know, just so sweet to see they'd been married each previously for the longest time and then both been widowed and then fell in love with each other, decided to get married. You know, it was just really precious. It, It gave new meaning till death do us part. But I was like, let me just kind of race through the ceremony here so we can enjoy some uh, of your marriage. And um, I'm sorry. Um, But I loved it. Like, I mean, they were in it all the way at that stage, still willing to engage in relationship and and love generously, which is just super cool. Um, But we get into relationship, you know, everybody's got advice for you and you, you don't always want advice. Christians give you weird advice. Uh, when, I, when I was engaged to be married, um, I got the weirdest advice from Christian people. There was a guy that came up to me and said, hey, Ron, here's what you need to do. 
When you're married, um, what you need to do is you need to read the Song of Solomon to Anna. You need to read it. If you want the spark, you want a little bit of the romance alive, then open up God's word to the Song of Solomon, also called the Song of Songs, and just read it to her, and and the, the romance will be alive. And I was like, oh, okay. I wasn't real familiar with it. Let me read some to you. (laughs) Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 1. You are beautiful, my darling, beautiful beyond words. Oh, that's pretty good. Your eyes are like doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from Mount Gilead. (laughs) Your teeth are as white as sheep, recently shorn and flesh freshly washed. How effective is this going to be? Imagine I just beat Anna home a little bit early. I've turned out all the lights. I've lit like a dozen candles. I get rose petals and make a little path weaving its way to me seated there on the couch with my Bible open. She makes her way toward me, and I begin, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your hair is like goats, and your teeth are like sheep. (laughs) This is not good advice. This is not going to work. So we're we're fumbling around, like, in relationships, and we all know that, like, the, the relationships that we've got in our life, maybe it's a friendship. Maybe it's family relationship. Maybe it's your spouse if you've got one. Those can all be the absolute best part of your life. They can also be the worst part of your life. And some of the most hurtful, stressful things that you've ever gone through or are going through now are a result of relationship. And then it's complicated because the life that we live is like crazy, this world that we're in is crazy, and there's, there's, there's just no lack of challenges. There's no lack of stress. There's no lack of hurts that the world is going to throw at us. And so even harder when we've got it right in our best friends or we've got it right in our family or we've got it with our, our spouse too. So what would it look like for God to really cultivate our relationships as a place of, of refuge, Just pause for a moment and think about this question. Am I a refuge to the people around me? Am I a refuge to my friends? Am I a refuge to my family? Am I a a refuge to my spouse? Refuge isn't a word that we use a ton. One definition might be something like a refuge is a safe place to escape death and find life. Now, in some cases, an actual refuge is just that. It's a literal place that you go and climb into or crawl up into to escape death and find life. But in relationships, they can be a place of refuge too, where you can can go to them with a safe person, a safe place that you know you can escape all the hurts and the harms spiritually, emotionally, mentally. When you're with this person, you know you're not gonna 
feel the effects of any sort of death in that regard. And in fact, you're gonna find life. You're gonna find hope. You're gonna find comfort and healing and joy and encouragement. The, the, the word refuge appears some 90 times in the scriptures. 60 of those 90 times, it's God referencing himself as the refuge. See, it's God's desire that you and I would find a refuge in him. He is our ultimate refuge. And then his desire also is that his people, his followers, would be a refuge for those around them. In the Old Testament, there's this really cool thing called cities of refuge. And Israel had this pretty robust judicial system and it thought through a lot of angles on things. And way back in the Old Testament, they had established these places called cities of refuge of the some 45 to 50 cities that made up uh, Israel back in the day. God had designated six of those cities evenly spaced out to be cities of refuge. It's referenced in a couple places, Deuteronomy and Numbers, and then Joshua chapter 20. I'll read this real quick to you. Joshua 20, verse one. The Lord said to Joshua, now tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge as I had instructed to Moses. Anyone who kills another person accidentally and unintentionally can run to one of these cities. They will be places of refuge from relatives seeking revenge for the person who was killed. You skip down to verse nine. These cities were set apart for all the Israelites as well as the foreigners living among them. Anyone who accidentally killed another person could take refuge in one of these cities. In this way, they could escape being killed in revenge prior to standing trial before the, the local assembly. And if you do the full study on these cities of refuge, you'll find a handful of interesting things. One is that the cities were, were within easy access of really anybody amongst the Israelite people. You didn't have to travel far to find refuge. Wouldn't it be great if you and I didn't have to travel very far to find a place of refuge? These cities of refuge, they were open to all people not just the Hebrew people. Wouldn't it be great if we could be a refuge for people regardless of what they're like or what background or skin color or unit, we're just a place of refuge just because we're all human beings made in the image of God and so you've got a place with me whenever, however you need that to be. These places, these cities of refuge required a confession of the crime and then a little investigation to make sure you weren't faking it afterwards. But once you were in the city, once you were in the city, then you were protected from the avenger of death. So the reality is these cities of refuge are actually a brilliant picture of Jesus. They're a foreshadow of the refuge of Jesus Christ who's within easy access of every single person, who is open and will receive anyone to him. All is required is just a confession. And then once we are 
in him. We find our refuge in him. We're rescued by him. He will protect us from the enemy. He'll protect us from the avenger of death. It's a pretty cool thing that God established as a picture of the Jesus that was to come and also just a real practical place that provided refuge for people that had made mistakes, that found themselves in harm's way. Fast forward to 2024 with me and you. What if our homes were a refuge? Like Jesus is our refuge. What if your best friendships were a refuge? What if your home, your family was a refuge? What if your marriage was a refuge, that safe place? That's God's heart and his desire. So what's that look like? If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn to Ephesians and go to chapter five. It's in your New Testament, near the end of your Bible if you're not real familiar. Probably quicker to go to the back of your Bible, work back to the left. You'll find this book of Ephesians. And I love this. This is probably my favorite uh, book in the New Testament. And if you get a chance to read it this week, would you? The, the, the first half of Ephesians lays the foundation of the person and the work of Jesus and that all he's done for us. And then the second half starts to kind of unpack a little bit of in light of who Jesus is, what's that mean for me? What's that mean for you? What, what's that mean for his people? And then the attention turns to specifically in the household. In light of all that Jesus is to you, if you're a follower of his, what's the trickle down of Jesus being a refuge to your house, to your home, to your relationships there? Ephesians chapter five, verse 21 says this. And further, submit to one another out of reverence, for Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, I'll give you total grace and mercy, 30 seconds, anybody wants to leave as we start a message about submission. <laughs> Nobody wants to talk about submitting. You don't wanna hear about this. I don't really wanna teach about it. But, but here's, here's the word, when it comes to our homes as followers of Jesus, the umbrella under which our homes should sit, and by the way, the umbrella under which the rest of what we're gonna look at here sits, the umbrella over it is mutual submission. Now to submit just means to subject oneself or put yourself under. That's why we don't like it. We don't like to put ourselves under anyone. And yet the call here for all followers of Jesus is to submit ourselves to one another as we are submitted to Christ. Nowhere, you guys, in the Bible does the Bible teach or does God desire the domination of someone? But God and the word of God call followers of God to voluntarily submit to everyone. 
This is part of what it is to be a follower of Jesus, is in humility to put ourselves under others. You guys, this is the very ethic of Jesus, who, who submitted himself to the plan to go to the cross. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to humble himself and take on flesh. He didn't have to humble himself and go to the cross. He didn't have to become like one of us and take the penalty for sin on himself. He's the son of God. He didn't have to do any of it. But why did he submit? So that relationship could be made possible. So that relationship between you and I could be a thing. I'm so glad he submitted. It's the very ethic of Jesus when we talk about submitting mutually to people around us. The core of every great relationship, you'll find submission and humility. In your friendships, your family, your marriage, submission and humility is at the core of every great relationship. It's probably most vivid in marriage, in marriage which is where the rest of this passage goes. Now what's here is specific to marriage. This is good for those of you that are already married. You got a good marriage, keep this in mind. You've got a marriage that's struggling. Process through it in terms of some of the things that we're seeing here. You're not married yet, take note of this because God's got something very special at heart for you in the midst of this. But um, hang on, ladies, because we start with you, so please don't hate me. <laughs> oh my goodness. Verse 22. We're gonna submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Okay, right off the bat, um, just a reminder. Jesus is your Lord, not your husband. Okay? Second, um, submit is under the context of mutual submission. So the Lord is calling your husband to submit to you as well. But he is calling specific attention to wives to submit. And I think the language here of submission, and later in this passage, the word submit gets swapped out with respect. I think God puts this here for the wives so that you'll know the love language of your husband. It's not all guys, but it's the majority of guys that speak a language of respect. And when we feel respected, you're speaking our language. It's a love language for us. And God would know that. And he wants that to be cultivated in the context of marriage. So he says, wives, if you want to be a refuge for your husband, then respect him. Submit to him. Subordination does not equal 
inferiority. Do you hear me? To be subordinate or under, to have a lower role, like in a workplace or whatever. I have a lower role than other people here. But to be subordinate does not mean, from God's perspective, that you are inferior. God and his word reaffirm the role of females and the place of a woman, and it is equal to men. You are complete equals. You are a beautiful creation made in the image of God. This isn't a greater than, less than sort of thing. This is, if you want a really solid relationship, then there's a bit of a formula here based on how you're wired. And remember, when you create this place of refuge and safety, it starts, ladies, with respecting your husband, submitting to him. One way to respect him is to defer to him. A lot of you go, that's easy for you to say. You're a man. That's convenient. You chauvinist, sexist, old school, traditional, outdated, doesn't sound very Western, doesn't sound very 2024. Okay, I get it. I get it. But remember what it's under the umbrella of. Believers and marriages best when we're submitting to each other. The other thing is, you guys, I honestly believe, ladies, it's an honor for me to submit to someone else. It's actually an honor for me to submit to anyone else. If it reflects my heart to submit or put myself under Jesus, and it's always an opportunity. It's that with my friends, it's that with my family, it's that with my spouse, it's that at work. Anytime that I can put myself under someone in humble submission, and it's a reflection of me humbling myself before Jesus, like it's worth it, you're worth it. How much more so is my spouse worth it? I hope that Anna feels that way toward me. The reality is, though, it's, it's weird, you guys. I feel like somewhere along the line, we've got the idea that love was meant to be unconditional, but respect has to be earned. That's not biblical. I believe love should be unconditional, but I also believe that the Bible teaches that things like respect and honor are also meant to be unconditional. Does everybody deserve it? No, but who cares? If I only loved people or respected people who deserved it, there'd only be like three, <laughs> right? And it is what is so distinctively opposite about what it is to be a follower of Jesus. Anybody can love those who love them. Anybody can respect those who respect them. But especially in the context of marriage, when we respect our husbands, there's a refuge that begins to take place. 
in his heart first, and then in the relationship shortly thereafter. I'm kind of laughing when I'm thinking about this because if you knew the full scope of the dynamic in the marriage that I have to Anna, I mean, it's just funny because Anna is better than me in every single possible way. And I'm not just saying that. I mean, this, in fact, my son Brody, our middle, um, a couple of years ago, I don't remember if it was Mother's Day or if it was Anna's birthday, but um, he wrote a card, and in the card, he said, love you, Mom, you're the absolute best. We all know you're the real man of the house. (laughs) And we laughed for seriously like five minutes because it's true. It's so true. Any sort of thing that you would stereotypically ascribe to a guy being good at, I am not. And Anna is brilliant. It's true. Anna is smarter than me and godlier than me and stronger than me. She's way better at fixing stuff than me. I've got none of that skill set whatsoever. It is so true. All I'm saying is this, you guys... There is something of real wonder when a complete equal chooses to submit themselves to somebody else. It's Christ-like. It's winsome. It creates a safety and a refuge Wives, when we can respect that way, when you can respect and honor in that regard. Okay, ladies, we're done with you. Men, your turn. And I don't care what you think, so. (laughs) Guys, you want to create a refuge for your wife? Here's what it looks like for you to be a refuge for her. For husbands, this means Love your wives, love your wives. See if respect is the primary language of a man, love is the primary language of a woman. And how are we to love our wives? Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her. You wanna be a refuge for your wife, husbands? Then you lay down your life for her. You are called to love your wife the same way that Jesus loved the church. And how much did Jesus love the church? He loved her so much that he laid down his life voluntarily for her. He sacrificed himself. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross for the bride of Christ, the church. And that's the standard, that's the model, that's the call for us as husbands. We are called to mutually submit and then we're also called to lay down our lives for our wives. That's radical love, that's generous love. And if it's in keeping with the type of love that Jesus displayed, we're gonna love regardless of what we get back, guys. Well, you don't understand. She doesn't do this, or she doesn't give this, or she doesn't hang in there with that, or she doesn't want any of this. Okay, I understand. That's challenging. But the love of Jesus that he's calling husbands to have is a love that says, I don't care what I get back. 
I'm going to love you anyway. Why? One, because she deserves it. Two, it's a display of the type of love that God has for every single one of us. Jesus gave himself freely. And not everybody receives him, do they? They look at the cross and they hear what he did and people still process it or take time or take advantage. I I have as well. Where there's mutual submission and respect and laying your life down, there's gonna be a safe haven. There's gonna be a refuge when that's like the predominant culture. Guys, if Jesus, God in the flesh, could get down on his knees and wash his disciples' feet, ew, you can't serve your wife? Come on. Jesus, God, humbled himself. And he didn't come to be served, he came to serve. And we're called to the same as husbands to to our wives. I would just say, husbands, make it easy. Make it easy for your wife to respect you or defer to you at times. Wives, Make it easy for your husband to love you extravagantly. If you've got that, you got a safe refuge of a marriage. That also applies to your family. It applies to your friendships too. Just a real quick word, just so you hear me. If you're in a relationship, and now I don't care if it's married, uh, dating, friendship. If you're in a relationship that is toxic, abusive, you're you're in a relationship where there's icky, heavy manipulation, that's not a refuge, that's not Jesus. You need to get out. You you need to get some help. Now, out for a while and God restores, I pray for that all the time. But Jesus isn't saying hang in some icky, abusive situation forever and just submit yourself to that. That's not a refuge. That's not Jesus' heart. If you skip down, there's this glorious picture of marriage that he starts to wrap things up, verse 31. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one, referencing way back to Genesis. This is a great mystery, but is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Hello, your marriage is not just about you and your happiness and you've got a helpmate and a buddy and a friend to go enjoy life with. When you're a follower of Jesus, your marriage is also about a bigger picture of the intimacy that God desires with every single person. So it's one thing if you are a refuge, a safe place, but I love it when marriages are that. Because people could look at your marriage and begin to get 
an understanding of the safety and the refuge and the commitment and the self-sacrifice of love that God has for his church. We are a living illustration in our marriages of something so much bigger than just our marriage. That's massive. We're one. Now, a lot of times in in marriage, like a lot of other relationships, but I see it a lot in marriage, it's kind of like trying to drive the car, but you're both grabbed onto the steering wheel, trying to fight for control, which is not a good idea, by the way. If you've ever tried, this does not work, does it? The the fight for control can be exhausting. You're going to end up uh, crashing. But I'll tell you this. There are times in my marriage where I am the one who has the hands on the steering wheel and Anna is riding shotgun. There are other times in my marriage where Anna is the one, hands on the wheel, and I'm riding shotgun. Most of the time, it is both of us on the steering wheel, but we're not struggling, we're submitting. And so that can kind of work. We're one. Probably a better picture would be like riding a motorcycle together. And we we are both on the marriage motorcycle. We better lean the same way at the same time or it's not gonna work out very well. I'm happy, I'm happy and honored to sit up front and take the rocks in the chest that come up occasionally when you're in that position And I would imagine that it's often challenging, difficult for Anna to sit right behind me and just hang on when she's often a better driver than I. That's tough. But we're together. We're one. And that's why we're gonna make it. Because we're a safe place. We're a refuge, and we're going to get there together. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down or snag a picture of it on screen. I, I really believe that refuge relationships always trust, they always protect, and they always celebrate. This goes for friendships, this goes for your family, this goes for your marriage for sure. Refuge relationships, they always trust. Trust is such a linchpin here, and if you've lost trust for a tangible, actual reason, something's gone on and the trust is gone, you gotta work hard and fight hard to get that back. If you've lost trust and it isn't because of him or her, but it's something in the background or the past, and that's why you don't, you gotta let that go. And, And you've gotta, Allow the trust to grow. You you trust first and then talk later. If there's a thing you didn't understand or didn't agree with or whatever, then go back and talk about it. But trust first. Assume the best first. The negativity is not going to lead to a, a safe haven or a refuge. But an assuming the best and a trust will If the trust is gone, you need to reclaim it, then hang on, because through the series, we'll address that a little bit more. 
Refuge relationships, they also protect. And on that, um, I can't not say it strongly enough. I, you've got to keep the hurtful words and actions out of the relationship. You gotta keep the hurtful words and actions out. The nails that we drive into each other hurt, and yes, we can say sorry and have the nail pulled out, but that, it still hurts. And the nitpicky and the this and that, it's not helpful. Or allowing this behavior or that behavior, unhealthy stuff in, we have to be very vigilant in protecting our marriage, and sometimes it's the words, and sometimes it's the actions. But you want a refuge, then begin to speak healing and hope and encouragement in, and begin to eliminate and ask God for help with anger or outbursts or whatever it is. We've gotta protect, because the enemy wants to rip you to shreds. And for some reason, the people close to us have the ability to hurt us the most. But rather than allow the enemy some room, you protect. Women protect. Men protect. You protect prayer in prayer. Pray. Pray for your family. Pray for your friends. Pray for your spouse. Constantly. There is a spiritual battle that's going on. You know that. And we can't pull off this sort of love or this sort of respect under our own strength. And so we're going into a spiritual battle. We better, we better use spiritual weapons. And so you want to protect your marriage. You want to protect your family. You want to protect your, your friendships. You pray for them. I'm waking up at 2.52 a.m. every single morning. I can't seem to help it. And now it's just become my prayer time. It's my prayer time for my family because I want it to be a protective time. I want God to step in in ways that I never could provide and protect. And lastly, I'd say celebrate. You gotta celebrate, you know? Celebrate the differences. Yeah, I know. The differences are also what drive you nuts. The differences can be friction or they can be the thing that, that makes you remember, oh, this is the puzzle piece. You actually like complete me. There's a whole part of here that I, I'm not good at that you are good at and the difference is we are better together. And so I wanna celebrate those differences. And then celebrate by like actually celebrating. Go have fun. Relationships were meant to be fun. Your friendships were meant to be fun, fun. Remember that? Your family was meant to be fun. Your marriage was meant to be fun. Some of you, you have not had fun in your marriage in so long, and you're like, well, I, but he's this, and that's annoying. I don't even want to spend time. I care. Get over it. Go on a date. Go buy her flowers. Write her the note. Go do something you both enjoy. Go have some fun and see what God does in it. A friend of mine says, in relationship, we all approach it with two buckets. One has lighter fluid. The other has water. He says, always use water. And this approach here, when you trust, that's the water bucket. 
When you protect, that's the water bucket. When you celebrate, that's the water bucket. Instead of throwing lighter fluid on the little sparks that are always there, we're just gonna say, nope, I'm gonna choose grace. I'm gonna choose mercy. I'm gonna choose life. I'm gonna choose respect. I'm gonna choose radical self-sacrifice. That's what he's called all of us to be and do in these refuge relationships. There's a couple that means a lot to me here at the church, Keith and Karen Spence. They're such a dear, dear couple. And it's the handful of interactions in this last year that I've had. They are so sweet and generous with their hugs and their words and their smiles. And hearing a little bit of their story, they're, they're, they're in their 48th year of marriage, 48, it'll be 49 in August. I know some of you could give them a run for the money, but I, I want to get there. And Lord willing, we will, if I just live long enough. But Keith and Karen, they've got this great marriage. It hasn't been perfect. It hasn't been easy. Keith has had three bouts of cancer come through it. They just keep hanging in there. And they've made this lifelong commitment to be a refuge to each other. And it's a blessing to them, and it's a blessing to anybody that's in close proximity. I want that. I want that for your relationships. Karen said, we both feel like the other is the best gift God gave us. Our love is authentic and real. We enjoy having fun together and love our church community. Any relationship that you've got in your life, you can be a refuge for. I think it should start with the ones closest to you and then work their way out. So I double back on that question. Are you a refuge? Ask yourself the question, am I a refuge? If so, ask God by his grace to continue that work in you as you find refuge in him. If you ask yourself the question, you go, I don't think so, I've got room to grow here, or it depends on the day or it depends on the week. Then come back to his word. Come back to a heart that says, I'll put myself under the same way I'm putting myself under you, Jesus, and I'll let you handle the rest. Please cultivate what you want in me, that I might be blessed, my husband and wife, whoever it is next to me is blessed, my family's blessed, my friends are blessed. In the name of an almighty God, do it. So gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us, regardless of what you get back. Thank you for modeling self-sacrifice and modeling humility and that you came to serve and not be served. And you did all of that. Thank you that we can find our refuge in you. Forgive me for the times where I do not love friend, family, or my precious Anna the way that you have loved me. Pray for those that are here and in a spot where they're looking forward to marriage and I pray that you would just bring them under your wing and protect them and give them wisdom and discernment before they ever 
get into that marriage relationship and that when they do, it would be the best thing ever. Bring them the right person. For those who are struggling in their marriage, God, would you give an extra measure of grace and mercy like they're standing under the waterfall of your power and protection and healing. Let love and respect just erupt out of there. For those that maybe lost their loved one, you be their protector. You fill them up and you wrap them up. Bring them good friends in the meantime. But Lord, be their healer in the midst of it, that they might even be a refuge to others that are going through the same thing. For those that are doing all right in their friendships, their family, and in their marriage, Lord, we give you the praise and the glory and just ask that you'd multiply that here in our own church in our own community, for your glory's sake. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you, Pastor Lauren. Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that. And you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us. And please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.